All right, let's give God praise one more time this morning for he's been good to a lot of us. We've had an awesome worship service so far. Uh, my name is Moises. I'm the associate pastor here. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, it's always tough to get here uh, the week after Easter. It's like people think that God is no longer alive or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what all happens, but he's still alive today, just like he was last Sunday. Um, so we're excited to be here. Our lead, our lead pastor, Andrew, is out on some much-needed time off this week as he celebrates his 25th year anniversary. See that? And as a gift to you, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let me stop. Let's do what we came here to do. Amen. So I'm 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 excited. If I haven't met you yet, again, I, I hope that we can meet our. I, I I hope to meet you on the way out here today this morning. But this morning we finalize our one life sermon series, and and in this series we've kind of looked into and been walking through and focusing on the one life that only could be found in Jesus, right? Jesus was not only the resurrection. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, right? So it is a life that can only be found in Jesus. What you need, what you want, what you desire, what you expect, that fulfilling of the life that many of us look for it in different places could only be found in Jesus. It may sound cliche to you, but the reality is true life, abundant life, greater life, eternal life, it's only found in Jesus. Amen? So we're continuing to break this down this morning. Um, we, we have to understand, however, that this life doesn't come without the power of the resurrection. Amen? The resurrection needed to take place for you and I to have access to this life that we all long for. But when the events of the resurrection take place, something unique happens. Jesus decides to come back and start having some conversations with people, right? It's almost like he comes back and loops around, you know, closing the loop on some leftover items that he needed to address. It, 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 it kind of brings a question to mind for me because you're thinking about if God said in the cross, it is finished, what why would there be a need for him to kind of loop back around and circle back around with us before he actually ascends to heaven? Just as, as Jesus had been raised from the dead, but, but none of his disciples, you know, believed in it. I mean, the reality was that he had been risen from the dead, but no one believed that he did. People knew about the empty tomb but they didn't connect the dots realizing that this was what had taken place. In other words, a lot of them actually said someone stole his body. Right? So quiet in here. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, listen, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm pretty energetic. I, I scream for no reason. I'm not, don't take it personal. All right? So Jesus decided that he must reveal himself, allowing others to see that he had defeated death and that he was actually really God in flesh and kind of close the circle on that. This morning, we're going to look at a story of two, of, his, of two men that knew Jesus, two followers of Jesus, but that they needed an encounter with him. 
on the very day of the resurrection. And we're going to call this one conversation this morning because the conversation that Jesus ends up having with these two guys ends up changing and redirecting their journey and the experiences that they would have for the rest of their lives. And how many of you guys would agree that our lives could be a lot better if we would just give ourselves to one more conversation? Hang on, I was told that I needed to stay in the middle. Sorry, guys. I keep coming off the camera shot because I move around too much. And they're always slapping my wrist when I'm done preaching about it. So if, if you see me that I'm getting bent too close to you, just go. All right? So, so now... We would all agree here today that if we just had one more conversation at times in our lives, our lives could be a lot better, right? If we just had one more conversation with God, our relationship with God would grow. A very popular one is that if we have one more conversation in our marriages, our marriages would be better. If we had one more conversation with our children, their lives would be better. Our workplace and, 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 and the network of people that we know, so on and so on. This, very pa this past week, I was here, and, I, and something interesting happened, right? Because I, I, I sometimes, you know, you meet a lot of people, and you, and you sometimes conversations go different directions. Well, I, I, this past week, it's Friday, it's about 2 o'clock, and I'm, I'm finishing up some final notes on my sermon in my office, okay? It's later in the afternoon here, around here on Fridays, 2 o'clock is kind of like, you know. So somebody walks by, this older gentleman walks by, my, and I have this glass wall, and I could see him. So I don't, I've never met him before. First thing I thought about is greater years. This must be a greater years guy. Pastor Randy, where are you? Right? But no, he walks by, stands there and says, and says, can I come in? Sure. Come in. The guy ends up coming into my office and he sits down to talk to me. Then he goes on to explain to me that he owns 20 acres on, high, on Highway 218, that a church approached him about selling five acres, and that how, many, how much acreage do you have? If you don't mind me knowing, what you guys pay for the property? And he says, have you ever been to Carolina Adventure World, which is like a four-wheeling park in South Carolina? And I said, yeah. He says, I own that. And I said, this car right here is from that place. I, I've been there, right? I got so excited. I'm like, Really? Yeah, he, I sold it about a year ago. My name is Donald Wilburn. Have you ever heard of the Wilburn Auto Body Shop? I see, yeah, that's me. I own 15 of them. I'm like, who would have thought? This guy, we had a great conversation. He didn't hand me a million dollars at the end of the conversation or anything like that. It's not going to go there, okay? He just comes in and he's sitting there. We have this conversation. Thank you for everything that you said. I'm walking him out of my office, and, and he's getting in his beautiful vehicle that he left parked in the roundabout that Grace was so upset, wondering who parked here, <laughs> right? And he's parked there, and, and we're, I'm like, one conversation. You never know who you're going to encounter. One conversation, right? And I'm meeting this person that I've probably been in his property a ton of times, have fallen in his property a ton of, I could probably sue him. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 we're not going there. I signed a waiver. I signed a waiver. Right? In today's story, we're going to be looking at one overall conversation, right? But I want to, I want to look at the different, the different stages of that conversation. Because one, one thing leads to the other and to the other. And Jesus takes these two guys through this journey that reveals a ton. All right? And I'm going to start with the, with the first one, and it is a difficult conversation. 
We're going to be reading Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be reading verses 13 to 35, but we're not going to read all 35 verses right now, or, or, or all the verses, right? Right now, we're going to read 13 and 14, and it says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walk along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And this conversation to Emmaus is so important because it is the beginning of the message of Christ and the Christianity spreading along the land. Jesus rises from the dead. Two women go to the tomb where the body is no longer present, but nobody believes them. Okay? You heard all about that last week. Not until the conversation on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus shows up, opens up Scripture, and begins to connect the dots for the people, then somehow, after this conversation, they begin to believe the resurrection, making this the beginning of what you and I would call the Jesus movement. It is, it is uh, this, this story accounts for one of the clearest connections between Jesus and the Old Testament, right? Now, these two men are walking, and they're, they're, they, they, they're talking about everything that had taken place. And can you imagine all they had to talk about? I mean, there was a lot to decipher based on the experiences that they've had. I mean, this great man that they've been following for years gets, gets, gets arrested, is on trial, gets executed. And now word on the street is that these ladies went to the tomb, and it, it, the tomb is empty. You know, this was a lot of information to process. They had followed this man, trying to wrap their heads around the arrest, right? Let alone the execution. Now the missing body, what is going on here, right? And sometimes, I, I want to kind of branch out here and say that sometimes our obsession with clarity or confirmation, right, tends to be our biggest obstacle, we are so wrapped up in figuring out what truly happened that we missed the mark. I wrote this down because I thought it was really important. There's always value to clarity. However, the shadow side of clarity is that it creates consumers, not disciples. Okay? And the consumer mindset ends or contradicts the creative process of spreading the kingdom of God. Okay? Whew, I'm excited. All right. So this is why we as believers today even have to understand that there are times that our ground-breaking faith principles are things that we need to hang on to when we don't know about something. Instead of losing ourselves trying to figure out what the explanation for this is, what the clarity of this situation may be. We need to hold on to the principles that we know to be true and stand firm on that. Instead of finding out the how, the when, and why, that may not be the most beneficial thing for your faith at the moment. I was recently talking to one of my friends uh, this past week, and her daughter had a relapse with heroin, something that she had been battling with. Right? It's a horrible situation. She's texting me like she knows I'm a pastor. Right? One thing about pastors is that people reach out to you when something's wrong. Right? No news is good news, literally. All right? 
So she, she, she reaches out to me, and I'm like, look, we're praying for you. She, she's giving me all the details. She, she's, she's septic, so there's, there's uh, bacteria in her blood, and, and, and her life is on the line here. She doesn't want to go to the hospital. She's running out of the hospital. She's an adult, so she gets to make that decision. She's hiding in the hospital. It's all horrible things happening. She kept her wedding ring on her finger, and it, it, it got so it dug into her skin where it's infected. They got to cut her finger off. This mom is destroyed. Just literally reaching out to me saying, Moises, I have never been so afraid and scared in my entire life. And I finally had to say to her, after text back and forth, we're praying for you. Hang on in there. Everything will be okay. Keep me posted. Right? I said, I understand, but we have to put this on God's hands at some point. You know? I told her, the only good thing about this situation is that you and I have no control over it. And it's crazy to say it and look at it that way. But I said, because if you and I had any control over it, we would probably mess it up. Would you agree with me that the best place for the ball to be is on God's court? Right? Because if the ball was on our court, we would probably do something pretty silly with it. So I said, the ball is on God's court. Let's just trust in him for the best outcome. Right? You and I have to realize that you may want answers to the difficulties of life, but hear me when I tell you, having no control over something that is extremely important to us could be the best place to be. This may sound silly to you, but we say, I got the will. I, we have, God has given us will. Sometimes I wish that he hadn't. Sometimes I wish he would literally pick me up and like, <laughs> and then he picks me up again and like, Literally, the robot. I'm ready. Because unfortunately, we have a will. That gets in the way a lot, doesn't it? Right? But the ball, when the ball is on God's court, life is much better. Right? The women were perplexed to find an empty tomb. They came to the tomb, but they did not believe the message of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus spoke about the third day quite a lot? I mean, Luke 9, 40, 45, Luke 18, 34, the Messiah must suffer and die. But these women find themselves seeking the living among the dead, looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Left to ourselves and our own understanding, you and I will be lost, so blinded by what is next in our lives that we would constantly stumble and be misguided in our journey to where God has taken us. And it's a reality that all of us have to deal with. We sometimes are oblivious to the destination of God and get so caught up in the clarity of the how that we miss it. And a difficult conversation, a difficult moment in our lives should never get in the way of our true faith, of the principles of our beliefs, the things that we have hung on to this long. You may not know everything that you need to do in every single moment, but what you do know is that there's a foundation, like Pastor Randy was saying, that we all have been built to, right? You are here today, and something, little by little, brought you here, okay? So you're standing in a certain position in life, that you could rely on certain principles and certain things that you have experienced in the past that could help you carry through a difficult situation. 
All right? Which leads me to my second point. It's a clear conversation. Jesus starts clearing things up because it's getting difficult on this road. So as they're walking and talking, discussing all these events, resurrected Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. Verse 15 to 17, it says, As they walked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? It's intense, right? That, that God kept them from recognizing him. The, the Greek says that their eyes were seized. Why in the world would God keep them from recognizing him? Well, we obviously understand that they weren't ready for the revelation of the moment. It was a time issue. Okay? In other words, something else needed to happen for the revelation of God to be fully received by them in that moment. This is a perfect example to the timing of God in our lives and how we could get in the way. I've used this example multiple times, and it's, it's the example of the shaving blade, right? I, don't, I hide it from my son because it's going to be useful to him in the future. But if he gets it too early, he would cut himself. Right? So now he has a toy. And he looked, daddy, like you. Right? But I still put the shaving blade away because I know if he gets a hold of it, it could be dangerous for him. The same is true for us. There are things in our lives that we may want, we may feel like we need, but we're not ready for yet. And if God were to hand them to us, we would kill ourselves. We would destroy our lives with it. So in essence, what he does is with a timing scenario, he starts preparing them for what's to come. So their eyes are ceased. Now, in a lot of, a lot of, in a lot of ways, we, we, we tend to focus on a lot of different things. So uh, the question isn't really do we have faith of God. It should be like, who or what do we have faith in, in the moment? Because many of us walk through life, you know, kind of, we take a hold of it, and then we don't, and then whatever you want, Jesus, but then we continue to, to, to do these things. So Jesus begins to pretend like he doesn't know what they're talking about. This is super interesting to me. And, and, and then when, when they ask the question, this guy Cleopas says, what, where you been at? Like, like, he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? The dude turns around like, seriously? Where have you been at this whole time? You know, it, it says in verse 17 and 19, uh, to 19, it says, he asked them, why are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I, I love that the Bible kind of describes their expression. They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them asked, Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. Most of us would say, no, I haven't. Jesus said, what things? <laughs> this is kind of comical, right? I mean, it's just like a little bit, Jesus, you're pushing it a little bit here, right? Because we know God knows, right? So God doesn't come into a question just to ask you a question. He's trying to get you to a place, of understanding, right? So he, he, he doubles down on them. He says, what are you discussing? You must be the only person that doesn't know about the things that have taken place. What things, right? Now, what planet are you from, Jesus? 
You must be crazy. You're the only crazy person around here that doesn't know what's going on. What's even crazier about this is this guy Cleopas seems to be all over it, right? He seems to know all of it all. So he's looking straight at Jesus and begins to tell Jesus a history about Jesus' life. <laughs> but Jesus is the crazy one that hasn't heard about Jerusalem. He literally stands in front of him and he says, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus. It all started three years ago. And he goes on to tell him, right? It's funny but concerning because our lack of clarity can sometimes blind us to the truth that may be right in front of us. I'm not talking about clarity on everything, but we have to have some grounded principles that keep us afloat. Right? The Bible says that God would not give us anything or let us go through anything that we are not capable of overcoming. So whatever you're facing, horrible, difficult, you have been given some kind of ground principle to be able to withstand it. Okay? Jesus shows back up physically after the resurrection because he noticed there was something missing. In other words, the empty tomb wasn't going to be enough for people to believe in who he really was. People walking into an empty tomb wasn't going to convince them that Jesus had done something miraculous. You know, what's sad is that these men begin to make up their mind. And as you read the text further and further, you start to realize that they had made conclusions about Jesus already. And, and they, they, they kind of begin to tell on themselves. Okay? In verse 19b, he, 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 the second part of that verse, he said, He was a prophet. This is as Cleopas is telling Jesus the story about Jesus. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher. Right? The eyes of God on all the people. They started to draw conclusions on Jesus based on what they thought things should look like. He's dead. He's no longer there. So obviously he was just a prophet. He was just a teacher. I mean, in a way, put yourself in their position. And I want you to ask yourself, not, not so we could turn in this place into a pity party, but what would you feel like or what would it take for your faith to be put at question? What would have to happen in your life for you to say, this is enough. I can't handle this. Is God really real? When things don't happen like we expect them to, how do we explain it? How do we defend our faith from our own confusion? How do you do it? When you for sure about a moment, like this is exactly what God is going to do and God doesn't do it. How do you explain your faith from your own confusion? You know? The death of Jesus through these guys pretty off. They actually start to lose hope. In, in verse 20, in the, the first part of verse 20, 21, he says, we had hope he was the Messiah. We had hope that he was going to be that guy. Right? They were conflicted, needing clarity. So Jesus, they go on to say that in verse 22 to 24, there, then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. There's a little bit of hope there. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman said. So at the time of the conversation with Jesus, they knew this. 
But still, it wasn't enough. The empty tomb wasn't enough. The angel said Jesus was alive, right? And some of the other disciples went out there and confirmed it, that he wasn't in the tomb. But something wasn't clicking yet. Something wasn't there for them yet. So Jesus comes into the scene with my third and final point, and he, he has a winning conversation with them. He has a winning conversation. Because this thing was getting pretty sad pretty quick. And it's a long walk. So Jesus says to them, you foolish people. He's so nice. <laughs> you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. That is the entire Old Testament. Okay? So if you ever need to know how long does it take you to study the Old Testament, grab your Bible and go for a seven-mile walk. All right? I mean, almost, right? Moses and all the prophets. Think about it. Explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus pretty much takes them through a journey of the Old Testament to prove himself. Jesus fulfilled and confirmed through the writings of the Old Testament. And you know, this should be our hope. That no matter what's happening, there's a winning aspect to all this. But did you know that we are destined to win? You're like, oh, pastor, you're being arrogant. That's the truth. You and I are destined to win. Seriously. This is something we must understand. The victory has already been given. If you doubt that, then what faith do you have? But we get so caught up in the how we will win that we forget that we already have the victory. Right? In other words, our obsession of the how can find, can blind us from the fact of the outcome. It's funny because in verse 21, they share a, a nice detail there for us. The man tell Jesus in, in verse 21, and I, I didn't put this one up. He says, this all happened three days ago. They're like telling Jesus, Jesus, you know, it's been three days. And now his body's missing. <laughs> you know, Matthew 9.22, Matthew 18.33, Matthew 13. You know, but because of the how to things, they're missing it. They can't seem to click with it, right? This moment of celebration has turned into bad news for them, right? In seven-mile walk, Jesus reveals himself to them. And in verse 28 to 31, he says, By the time they were nearing Emmaus... And the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So they went home with them and they sat down to eat. Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread and he gave it. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at the moment he disappeared. Interesting, right? They begged Jesus to stay because something was happening in their lives. Something was happening in their lives. 
what could possibly be happening. In verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? See, this is, these moments are the ones we forget. Because we, we get really focused on explaining things, right? If someone comes up to me and tells me, what is the biggest proof of your faith? I will say my personal experience. This was a personal experience moment. Didn't our hearts burn within us? There's no explanation to that. Yeah, my heart is burning. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I'm telling you, I'm burning inside. We have these moments with God constantly, and all it takes is a distraction or, or, or a difficult moment, and we forget about the moment. We, we, we forget that our hearts at one point were burning for what God was doing in our lives. And it says, you know, within the hour, these guys end up walking back to Jerusalem, telling everybody that the Lord has risen. I mean, it, it clicked. It happened. That moment took place. After a seven-mile journey, the job had been done. Nothing else needed to be said. And you may ask yourself, did he really need to take them through a seven-mile journey to do all this? Probably not, because he's God, and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But I do believe one thing, that God will not stop until you and I understand fully. So as long as you pair yourself up with God, he's going to make sure you get it. No matter what the situation looks like. Think of it this way. If we recruit someone only by giving them the sales pitch, then we will have to constantly resell them on the predetermined plan. People are more willing to suffer for, sacrifice for, endure for an answer they discovered than an answer that was simply handed to them. Because our endurance comes from our own convictions, not the conviction handed over to us by a leader. It was a winning conversation because it clicked. So many things got in the way. My question to you this morning is, what events have taken place or are taking place in your life that are holding you back from what God is calling you today? Are you stuck at mile three of the journey, just not being able to overcome the moment or the, the, the difficulty? One thing I know is that no matter what is happening, God has not mistaken your moment. Hear me when I tell you this. No matter what is going on in your life to get today, God has not mista mistaken your moment. There's nothing too bad you did, nothing good that you haven't gotten to yet. If it's God's timing, it's perfect. There's nothing missing. There's nothing you could say that, that, that will make you believe that. My son, my three-year-old son, taught me this lesson. He taught me this lesson a week ago, two weeks ago. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was thinking of a creative way. Him and I did do this little conversation back and forth every morning. He says to me, Daddy, I don't want you to go to work. Every morning. It, it, it's cool. I mean, I'm like, Rosie, are you listening? Like, I mean, this guy needs me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. You're here. I had to say something. So he, he's always, no work, no work. Play with me right now. Right? 
talks like a little caveman. <laughs> Play with me right now, right? And I thought of a creative way. I'll get him to understand. I want to reason with him, right? So I say, buddy, you see the lights that are on in this bathroom? Daddy has to go to work, so they stay on. I said, you see that cloth that you're wearing? Daddy has to go to work, so we can have that clothes. And my son teaches me a moment. He starts turning off the lights. And he starts taking off his clothes. And it clicked. It hit me. He was pretty much saying, I don't need anything from you. I need you. I don't need dad, the provider, or I need you. Peter went through a similar situation. In scripture, we see Peter. I'm not comparing my little incident with my three-year-old with Peter, but. <laughs> in scripture, P Peter is bold. He's this guy that's like, knows it all. Right? No, Jesus, you don't have to die. We can run to the mountains right now. No, I won't deny you. I'll cut this guy's ear off right now. But then he has the fallback moment where he denies Jesus three times. You know what he did? He went back to fishing because he was down. He was just like, I'm unworthy. I'm going to go back to fishing. And then Jesus, when he resurrects, he comes back. And one of the first people he goes and visits is Peter. And then we have that amazing story where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do, Lord. And Jesus says to him, and then Jesus says, go feed my lamb. And, and Peter says, do you love, and Jesus says, do you love me? Says, yes, Jesus, I do. And go, go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. What people don't realize is that when Jesus is using the term love there, he's referring to that word agape, which means unconditional love. But here's the kicker. Every time Peter is responding back, he's using a different term called phileo, which means I love you conditionally. It's almost as if Peter was confessing. So Jesus is saying to him, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter is saying, Lord, I love you, but conditionally. And he asked him again, Peter, do you love me unconditionally and Peter says I love you Lord conditionally the third time Jesus says to Peter and uses that love phrase he switches it from agape to phileo and agrees with Peter and says to Peter Peter do you love me conditionally and Peter says yes Lord I love you conditionally and Jesus says then go and feed my sheep see Peter had built an unintended pretender because he thought the moment required it. And Pete, Jesus wasn't looking for someone to start his church that knew everything, that could do everything. The conditional Peter was the Peter Jesus needed for the assignment. See, we get too wrapped up and what we're missing, what we don't have. When if God is calling you to the moment, he has not mistaken that moment. 
See, Peter was really bold until that moment. Peter was really proud until he realized, no, I can't. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's the Peter I need. The I can't, Peter. The people you're going to minister to, that's the Peter they need. The Peter that looks for the support of Jesus. In other words, listen, you're not, you, you continue to lead, but lead from the honest, from the most honest version of your story. You sit here today and here's the charge. Here's the charge. You, you talk to people constantly. You said, it's like God is asking you, are you ready to go? Y yes, Lord, I'm, I'm almost ready. No, no, are you ready to go? Yes, yes, Lord, I'm almost ready. And Jesus says, are you not ready to go yet? No, I'm not ready to go. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, then go. Because I need someone not ready. I need someone that's going to need me. I need someone that's going to require my support from the beginning. So as we bow our heads this morning, I asked Brian to come up here because I believe it is important. Here's the charge. Here's our challenge. You may be sitting here today and the moment has gotten to you or maybe the, the, you know, you're, you're struggling to realize that what God is calling you, you're not ready for. You know, it, it looks weird. I'm, why me? Why would it look this way? I want you to take a step. Because God is not calling the pretender version of you. He's calling the conditional version of you. The one that needs him. The one that doesn't have it all figured out. The one that struggles from time to time. Not because that's a good thing, but because we, we need God. So if you're here today, and this is speaking to your life, where by one reason or another, we pause anything, and you're willing to say in this moment, that is me, I'm ready, send me. Stand right now. It's a bold thing to do. I get it. It's a bold thing to do. But God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people he can work with. Peter thought he had it all figured out and then he ended up fishing again because he didn't. And when he decides to have a moment of honesty with God, God sends him to fulfill his calling. God has a plan for each individual in this room. And it could be fulfilled if we understand that he hasn't mistaken your moment. What you're doing now. What you're going to do tomorrow is the moment God has called you to. And whether you feel like you're inequipped, that you're not ready, that you've messed up so bad, God says, you need me more. And I've asked you to stand up as a, as a declaration of acknowledgement, knowing that you will go if God sends you. The whole church, let's just all stand. And let's pray for each other in this moment. I want this to be a moment of reflection. I know we're almost done here, guys. I'm not.
My son taught me something. I didn't need to be anymore to him. Who I was at that moment is what he wanted. And I feel like God is telling us the same thing. God is not asking you to be anymore. Who you are right now is what he's willing to use. So I would pray that we just, as we close our eyes and bow our heads this morning, this morning or afternoon, express to God how willing you are to walk into the moment because you acknowledge it's his, not yours. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, many around the room have stood up and answered the call. And we don't say that with pride, Lord. We just acknowledge, Lord, that your journey is the one we're walking. That the founding principles of our faith rest in you. So right now, Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would touch every individual in this room for the sake of your kingdom. You have called broken people to this journey. We don't know how and we don't know why. All we're saying this morning is that we're willing. Use us. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We are willing to take the step even though we may not feel ready. It's not about the how, Lord. It's about what you're capable of, capable of doing through us. So I thank you, Lord, for the honesty in the room. Just as Peter was honest with you, we hope to be honest with you this morning. You know our dirt. You know our shortcomings. And still you consider us for this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. We believe that our journey is yours. And from now on, our principles will be set in place. The distractions will not blind us to the journey and the purpose that you're calling us to. Thank you for being so good to us and for meeting us in this moment with this word. You love us so much and have already done so much for us and continue to include us. And for that, we're thankful. We love you, Jesus. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Can you give God a hand this morning? Wow.